0: He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. Sorry, yeah, that's the verse we're looking at this morning. Here's some bad news we're going to begin with, and then we'll get on with good, good news. There has been a discovery of a virus which is far worse than COVID. Uh, it's highly contagious, and while it isn't externally visible to others, it's never asymptomatic. The infected person will suffer, suffer greatly, whether it's recognized or not. And shockingly, this virus has actually been well-known in Perth for many years, but the leaders and health officials are reluctant to speak about it because the vaccine is just too costly. Um, The sickness is called cum infirmum insatiabilis, or morbus discontent tristitia. But these are difficult Latin words. And so for our our understanding, we're going to call it morism. Uh, moris- morism is a disease that affects the body mind and soul it is broadly spread in every section of society and uh, many of you in this room are infected with it and uh, we're going to look at how we might know so if you want to create some space between you and the person next to you now's the right time it's too late to leave the doors have been locked um, so how do you know if you've got it how do you diagnose it Here's how. Answer, these are yes or no questions. Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more intimate relationships to experience being loved or to give love? Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more achievements to validate your abilities and give your life some meaning? Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more followers, likes on social media? to keep you kind of buoyant? Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more money? This could be an increase in your savings or income or investments. Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more experiences, holidays, vacations, or trips? Trips with the boys, trips with the girls, trips with the family, trips by yourself. Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more weight loss? or more muscle gain, or more gravity-fighting modifications? Do you think, feel, or believe that you need more airtime to talk about yourself, or to listen to others talking about you? Because these are endorsed familiarities, society-endorsed, you might not be able to pick up on if you have any of these, because if you do, not only are they endorsed, but you would be applauded for them. But if you've said yes to any of those questions, there's a very good chance that you have morism. The di- the difficulty with morism is that it appears to have benefits. It- it's popular, it's it's uh, majority. It- it's the n- it's the n- it's the neutral. It's the natural, outside these doors. But the danger with morism. It's that it degrades the healthy parts of your mind, your heart, and your soul until there's nothing distinct or substantial about the person. All it leaves is a sick creation of the disease, a literal walking dead. So it's dangerous. So how do we deal with it? And that's what we're going to look at in the psalm this morning. How do we deal with morism? And this, t- this psalm tells us what we need to know about the vaccine. It starts off, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, says the NIV. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Here's the foundational work that we stand on. We spoke about this last week, but for those who weren't here, let's just go over it real quickly. Who is the Lord? Adam Clark wrote this, and I I don't think I can improve on it, and I don't think you're going to be able to understand it. I've read this a number of times, and I still only understand half of it. Just try to understand, just let one part. Prick your mind. One part grab your heart. One part excite you. Who is the Lord? In answer to who is the Lord, He is the eternal, independent, and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from Himself and without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely benevolent, beneficent, true, and holy, the cause of all being, the upholder of all things, infinitely happy because infinitely perfect and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be comprehended by itself. In a word of being who... Uh, from His infinite wisdom, cannot err or be deceived, and from His infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just, right, and kind. That is, the Lord let one of those things sink deep into your heart. What does shepherd imply? The Lord is my shepherd. That is the Lord, His great and His grandeur, and the, the sides of my brain can't understand fully who he is. And as Adam Clark says, it's because only an infinite mind can understand an, in, an infinite being. And I don't have an infinite mind and you don't either. This morning is not supposed to be uh, just a load of offenses. Um, hopefully you already knew you don't have an infinite mind. Um, but what does the shepherd imply? It implies ownership of the sheep. A word that's not very popular in our society, that, that if he is your shepherd, your life is owned by him. Presence with the sheep. Knowledge of their name. Protection of the sheep. Care for the sheep. Vision beyond the sheep. Leadership of the sheep. So Jesus claimed to be both Lord and Shepherd. So what does having the Lord and Shepherd uh, mean? Well, the implication is, it means, I lack nothing. The Lord is my Shepherd. Therefore... I lack nothing. It's not enough that the Lord is who He is and that it's not the Lord is a shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. It has to be that the Lord is my shepherd and when it's the Lord that is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It can't be something else that's my shepherd. It has to be the Lord that's my shepherd for me to lack nothing. But when the Lord is my shepherd, the implication is I lack nothing. This doesn't include all that we want and this is obviously Ah, uh, true. Whoever here has experienced getting all that they want, raise your hand. I saw a hand almost go up. Uh, but no, we don't. We don't experience this. This is not what the psalm says. It doesn't say, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I get what I want. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. If you don't get what you want, it's because the shepherd doesn't believe that's what you need. If you could have anything but Him, you would end up having nothing. And if you could have only Him, you would lack nothing. That's something I'd I'd like to try to land on your heart. If you could have everything in this world, but not Him, you would end up having nothing. And if you could only have Him, you would lack nothing. So the first thing that we do not lack when the Lord is our shepherd, the psalm says, is rest. And this can, be, this can be surprising in a society like ours of doing, of works. That's the first thing that we find out that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, is that we will get rest. He makes me lie down. But it shouldn't be surprising because in Genesis, remember what happened? Everything was made in six days. And the sixth day became, it became this like orientation day for Adam and Eve. God brought them into the creation that He made, and He gave them this kind of grand tour and talked them through their job description, what He had called them to do, what He had made them to do, and what they were going to be spending their lives doing. Uh, that was the sixth day, this great orientation day. And the seventh day, they woke up expecting to go to work. All right, we know what we're going to do. We know what our job is. Let's go to it. And God said, no, that's not what the seventh... Today, we rest. That's not what you're going to do. You're going to just feast in my presence. You're going to just be with me. Today, we're just going to be together. You can go to sleep and then wake up on the the eighth day or the first day of the week, and then you can go to work. And so Genesis shows us that resting with Jesus readies us for service for Jesus. Resting with God in God's presence, feasting in God's presence, prepares us to work for God, to live for God the rest of the week. So rest precedes uh, work in the perfect creation. But this also reminds me of redemption. The gospel is a little bit like the sixth day. The gospel is this announcement of what God has done. It's the spoken word, into, not, not just a word, it's God's word, God's announcement of what He has done, the good news of what He has done. He, I get told what He has done for me, what He has done for me through Christ on the cross. What through faith I've become in Him. That I'm adopted into His family, that I'm one of His children, that I'm justified. It's this orientation, and, and Paul says in Ephesians 2 that, Now that we are saved, therefore God has prepared works for us that we should do them. It sounds to me just like Genesis, that we brought into the sixth day gospel, and then there's these works that God has prepared for us, for our lives. We have meaning, and there's purpose for us, and we should get up and go doing it. And so we wake up on the seventh day, we're ready to go, and we find out, no, that's not what you do. What you do is you rest in your justification. You rest in Jesus. Resting in Jesus readies us to live for Jesus The Gospel tells us to first rest in Him, to settle in Him, to know that it has been done. While you were dead, this was taken care of, so that no one can boast. Rest in Him. Let your hearts be set in Him, settled in Him. Know that you are His, so that you can get up and live for Him. So it makes sense then, that David understands that when the Lord is my shepherd, the first thing I do not lack is rest. It's an invitation to feast. On the presence of the shepherd, regardless of circumstances, he can make me rest. So why would we ever not rest? Right? I mean, it's so good. Feasting with Jesus, being in his presence. I mean, who in this room would go, no nah, thanks. I mean, maybe if, you, if you're not a Christian, and you're just curious about Jesus, you don't know enough about him to be excited about that. But if you know Jesus, who would go, no thanks. Day with Jesus, you and Jesus, feasting in His presence. Nah. Rather go to work. None of us. So, why would we not? Why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we rest? Why would we resist it? Uh, a, a real life shepherd, theologian, pastor, Philip Keller, he writes that there are four reasons a sheep will not rest. And they can be summarized as this fear, friction, flies, and famine. If any of these factors are in play, play, the sheep just cannot rest. However, the sheep are incapable of dismissing any of these factors. So, the, we, the sheep are in danger of all four of these things, but the sheep can't do anything about any four of these things. What is that leave, that leaves them vulnerable? Right? They're entirely vulnerable and desperately need a shepherd. So only the genuine presence of the shepherd removes these uh, challenges or, or uh, hindrances to rest. You, you actually have to really have the presence of the shepherd, not just the knowledge of the shepherd. You can't know about the shit Lord being your shepherd. The Lord actually has to be your shepherd. You actually have to be in his presence for him to deal with these things that we're vulnerable to. Number one, fear. There's these dangers. Sheep are helpless. They're not weaponized. They have no defenses. But when the shepherd is amongst them, sheep become visibly calmer. Life is full of uncertainties for us today as well. Today could bring disaster or danger into your life. It could. We can't guarantee that life with Jesus won't. It could bring, bring, bring distress. Each day has potential for troubles jesus promised us in various ways he told us about various troubles troubles we'll have moving from singleness to marriage troubles we'll have being christians troubles we will have just in various forms and shapes he guaranteed that in this life you will have trouble so there's a lot of reasons to fear A lot of good reasons, a lot of real reasons. But we only have one reason not to fear. And that's the presence of Jesus with us. A Lord and Shepherd that's in control of all things. The awareness of His presence as our Shepherd and the knowledge of my Shepherd is my owner, my Lord. He's my friend. He has everything under His control. the knowledge and the awareness and the experience that Jesus is working out all things for His eternal vision for my life. That a day of distress doesn't disrupt His eternal plan for my life. That Mark's Friday and Saturday didn't disrupt Mark's eternity. As disruptive or disturbing as it was. And, and, sorry, it's not supposed to be a secret. I just don't want to get derailed. You're welcome to ask me about it afterwards. that He's working, He's busy restoring my mind, my body, and my soul. I can rest in His arms. There's this beautiful, uh, I've been watching shepherding videos, just to get into it. <laughs> and uh, there's, this, there's this one beautiful uh, video of this uh, elderly gentleman who goes and stands in the field, and you can see the, the, the field goes upwards, but there's this fog that's barely, barely higher than the shepherd's head. So you can't really see much. And he has this weird call. It must be Gaelic or something. It's, it's a strange kind of word or song or whistle. I can't tell what he's doing. But, but the sheep know his name. The sheep know his voice. And at first it looks like nothing's happening. But then you start to see this movement coming down the fog, down the hills. And these sheep are sprinting to him. coming to, And they don't stop. It gets terrifying. I mean, it goes from cute to terrifying because they don't slow down. They just come right up to him and, and, then, and then they go around him and then they bump into him and they're making sure that they're at the shepherd. And then he takes out he, and he fe- feeds himself in these beautiful green fields. They just want to be with their shepherd. And this is what fear can do fear can drive us to the shepherd, to hear his voice, to hear his call, come to me, and to drive us through the fog of fear into his presence. What about friction? You know that sheep are terrible at relationships? Communities of sheep, they have a hierarchy. There's the top sheep and the bottom sheep. And the top sheep will will bully all the other sheep and and so it will go all the way down. They butt each other with their heads. And if the top sheep wants the nice little pasture, then it will bump the, the sheep out the way. And it will bump for the shade. They'll push each other and pull each other. It's competitive and it's not the top dog, the top sheep all the way down. You know, sheep will even push each other off a cliff to get to what they want. You know that we are no different. That we have friction in our relationships. That we can be jealous of each other, envious of each other. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's like like Jesus understands that amongst the sheep, there's the weak and the young that really don't get well looked after because the the bullies have bumped them out the way. And it's like Jesus knows that. And it's like He almost prefers or has a special place in His heart for the weak ones, the vulnerable ones. Come to me. Come here. Can you imagine being the bully sheep? And you just see the shepherd just loving on this little vulnerable, weak. Wouldn't that melt your heart? Wouldn't that change you to go... I don't want to fight for anything. I just want to have what the shepherd has for me. I don't want to fight with the other sheep. I don't want to fight with his community. But a church can suffer self centeredness and conflicts and competition. When there's no presence of the shepherd amongst the community, any community, it can be a wonderful community, but when there's no presence of the shepherd with us, there'll be conflict and competition. But when the shepherd comes in, he enables us to love one another, to be kind to one another, to look out for each other, to forgive each other. The Bible wouldn't teach us about forgiveness and kindness and loving if God didn't have an awareness that we like sheep have an ability to put our head down and butt each other. And knowing that, knowing how kind of sinful and uh, immature we are or self-centered we are, Jesus kind of warns us and lets us know and teaches us, I'll come, I'll be with you, and I'll enable you to love and forgive. Fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The presence of the shepherd with us through the Holy Spirit enables us to live in community. Without the shepherd, we can't do it. And so if we collectively turn our eyes to Jesus, we stop focusing on ourselves and even others and we start focusing on Him, we no longer have cause for conflict and competition. And in the absence of conflict and competition, and in the presence of Jesus, we find peace and rest together. And none of us lack anything. What about flies? Oh, gee, in Perth we know about this. But for sheep, it's not just flies. I heard good news and I'll pass it on. Uh, But I heard it's been good news for 10 to 20 years that they keep bringing in different forms of dung beetles for the cattle up on the hill so that eventually they'll Do away with the flies that made me happy And then the person who told me the news said they've been saying that for 10 to 20 years so That made me sad, (laughs) but that's the good news. But for sheep. It's not just flies for sheep. It's all kinds of bugs Uh, But I just want to use flies because it it has an F like the other words that I'm using Um, But these are irritations These are things that just yeah disrupt any beauty you can be at the beach beautiful sunset looking at it thinking nothing can go wrong and right up your nose goes a fly and it's horrible it's awful and you wish you could just be home that's not what life is supposed to be like i can almost guarantee there will not be flies in heaven the sheep cannot rest in this environment and they've got no defenses for the flies and the bugs and the diseases that pester them they can't relax And the sheep have to have the shepherd's presence. The the shepherd has to prepare an ointment to place on the sheep. He actually has to go get the right leaves and oils and put them together and put it on the sheep so that it it does away with all these bugs and irritations. You actually have to be in the presence of the the shepherd. You have to be touched by the shepherd to uh, fight these. So if you you experience annoyances, if you feel anything like that, frustrated, ugh, Then you're just a sheep that needs to bleat to the shepherd. I've got a fly going up my nose. Please help. And you just need his touch to put an ointment on you. I wrote a little poem about these annoyances and irritations and frustrations. I wrote a poem with the church in mind. Look, the reality is it's the church in mind. The analogy is of the shepherd and the sheep. So when we're looking at these things, we're looking about life in the church. You can look at it the same as sheep in the world, but I'm, I'm focusing this on the sheep amongst each other, the sheep with the flock, with the shepherd. Here's the little poem, like it or not. The music was too loud. The songs are too lo- wrong. The music was too soft. The sermon was too long. The church is far too big. The building is way too small. They all arrived at too late. They didn't arrive at all. The meeting is too early. The coffee wasn't great. The children are chaotic. There's no one here to date. They asked me intrusive questions. No one even asked my name. They didn't practice COVID safety. If there's a second wave, King's Cross is to blame. That's my poem. I hope you like it. But all those things are futile. None of those things will bring up in heaven. We won't stand in the presence of God and say, I didn't like the location. I didn't like so-and-so. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. They're futile. They're rubbish. And yet, in our experience, they can rub us the wrong way. A pebble in our shoe, and they can make our church community just a, a, an annoying, horrible experience. I hate that I have to this. I hate that we do that. I've had little... And yet, it's futile. And yet, we all experience this. Because it's the flies and the mosquitoes and the lice and the etc, etc. But the presence of the shepherd again through the Holy Spirit anoints us with His balm. And, And the fruit of the Holy Spirit again is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And He anoints us and heals us. And something that could be annoying like a cry of a baby isn't. It can be. You can be sitting here and go, this church has so many children. It does. I mean, honestly, there's so many more coming. (laughs) <laughs> there are. I honestly used to pray for marriages and babies. Now I just pray for marriages. <laughs> but if you're single, you can hate it. I hate being in a church where every service is disrupted by a crying child. And you know what? Here, let, me tell you truth. let me tell you something, those of you who are single and, and uh, haven't had a child. mums don't hear their babies cry in public. So they can hit loud sounds, and the mum is oblivious of it. All mums hear is what the baby needs. The cries tell the mum something. You need food. You need a diaper change. I need to be loved. I need to be cuddled. Because they're not annoyed. And we celebrate life. Every single baby cry is a miracle. Even the annoying ones. Even the irritating ones. Not the annoying babies. The annoying baby cries. And this is what I'd say to you. If you ever feel that way, bleat to the shepherd and say, right now I'm struggling. Can I just be in a church where there's no babies or whatever it may be? I'm just picking on Jack because he spoke up. But, but you with me? That's okay. That, just accept it. Don't deny it. Just put up the hand of your heart and say, yeah, I'm full of flies and diseases and lice and And I need to go bleed to the shepherd and he needs to anoint me with his Holy Spirit and he needs to give me a more charitable heart to my brothers and sisters so that I just stop being irritated. And then you will be the one who leaves one Sunday and go, Wow, nothing irritated me. God's really worked on my heart. Famine. Let's move on to the last one. The sheep must not go hungry or thirsty in order to rest. They can't rest if they're hungry and thirsty. When they lie down, it's because they're satisfied, because the shepherd has fed them. But it's here that we find a problem, and here that morism is most exposed. Morism is exposed in all of them, but here we see it blatantly. It rears its head. My father-in-law always says, the enemy goes too far. If he's he's doing something in your life, he, he, he always goes to excess. He goes too far, and you go, oh, right, okay, I see this is wrong. And here is where it goes too far, and we see it. When we think of green pastures, what do you think of? Just say it out loud. Grass. Lots of it, right? Hills of it. I've seen pictures of uh, Robin and Cheryl's property in Zimbabwe. Uh, just value of a thousand hills, just covered in green, forest and grass, just beautiful. That's what, we, that's what I imagine. For, but that's not what David imagined. That's not what Jesus imagined. And I want to kind of shift your mindset to imagine what they imagined. And understand how different it is. Because when we in our Morism culture go, He will lead me in green pastures, immediately a question from our heart goes, then how come I don't have all the things that I want? I, I might be struggling in my job. I might be struggling to pay bills. I might be struggling with my health. I might be struggling with... relate. Why, why am I struggling? Why don't I have that boyfriend or girlfriend I want? There's no green pasture in my life. Well, let me... Let me set your mind straight so that we can lean into Jesus correctly. The problem with our thinking is that we want so much that we can be independent and autonomous. That's the amount we want. That's how we define enough. Enough is when I need no one or anything. Then I have enough. That is not healthy. And that is never promised to us. And the reality is that God could give everyone more than they needed and God wouldn't even touch what He has. It wouldn't even make a dent in what God has. He's completely able but out of His wisdom, that's not what He does with us. So if you're lucky, David's writing this, so we're going to picture what David pictured. We're going to go to where David lived and how David shepherded. And this is the same places, places that Jesus would have been where Jesus uses analogies of shepherding. So let's think like David and Jesus for a second. Uh, Joel, can you show the first slide? This would have been a good situation. If you were David, this would have been a really good day, a really good season. And if you're lucky, you could lead your field in those sorts of green pastures. But generally, the region looked like this. Next slide. That. And those lines are the lines where sheep walk, and they're able to... uh, Go up, they're able to poke their heads up and down from those lines and reach in to pick up the tufts of grass as they walk along those those hills. Uh, green pasture is, if you could just go to the next slide, here is a green pasture. That, that's what the shepherd's looking for. And what happens is in the, the Mediterranean breeze comes in and the shepherds, because of their skill... They know the cliffs that pick up the breeze the most. And there's water, there's, there's humidity in the air. And so as it hits the hot rocks in the Negev, in the, in the wilderness, as it hits the hot rocks, condensation occurs, and then water trickles down and goes into the soil, and tufts of grass come up. And so these incredibly wise shepherds know the hills and the sides of the hills that pick up uh, the Mediterranean breeze that comes up in the the evening, or if rain falls, which side of the hills it falls, and where they can find these tufts of grass. But you can imagine the amounts of skill a shepherd must use to be able to find these. And you can imagine David saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's saying that God has this immense skill to make sure that I will have enough. David is not resting in his excess. He's king. He's opulent. He understands wealth. He, He gets it. But David's not resting in that. He's not thinking like us. Green pastures means hills of grass. He's resting. When he says, you make me lie down in green pastures, what he's saying is, you are able to give me enough for today. You are able to feed me whenever I need. He's not resting in His fullness. He's resting in the shepherd's ability to feed every hunger and thirst, to find the green pastures, to find the tufts of grass. Because you are my shepherd, I can rest. Because when I'm hungry, when I'm in need, you know exactly where to go and how to feed me. And so I'll come to you. But Morism, if it's in us, we don't want the shepherd, we want the hills of green. Lead me, Jesus, to the hills of green so that I won't need you for a week, a month, a year. And when I've chewed it all up, I'll come back and you can take me to the next paddock. David says, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He can feed me. He can find tufts of grass. He understands this life. He understands where the world's going. He understands what he's made me for. He knows my needs. He will feed me. What about still waters? Can you show the next slide? Still waters don't occur very much in the Negev. When it rains, this is what it looks like. Flash floods. Sheep die in this sort of water. But shepherds, the skillful ones, know where to go find... Can you just go to the next slide, Joel? Thank you. Still waters. They've got the skill to go find these places. But again, what is the sheep? The sheep can't do it. The sheep have to rest in the shepherd. The sheep have to trust that the shepherd knows what he's doing and that he can give them the water to drink and the food to eat, even if the circumstances in life are like a wilderness. Remember, for David, the idea of excess, even in his opulence, he didn't have a Western standard. Even in his opulence, he didn't have morism. He still understood that he needed God for everything. Is that just an Old Testament thing? Is that just, No, it's not. Think of Paul. I know how to go on with nothing and with much. In other words, the circumstances mean nothing, whether it's a green field or the Negev desert. Neither one of them mean anything, because in both of them, the Lord is my shepherd. I am content. He knows what He's doing. Wherever He leads me, He will feed me. Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus knows that life leaves us hungry and thirsty. Jesus knows that life takes its toll on us. That we lose our identity, that we lose our meaning, that we lose our purpose, that we lose our soul. That we wake up one morning and we don't know why we're awake. What we're supposed to do. or Where we'll find joy. Jesus knows that. He says, come to me. all those, and find something to drink. So even in the deserts of life, Jesus knows how to lead us. And He'll give us enough so that we can rest. Here is His wisdom. He's not going to give you too much. He's just going to give you enough. I don't know how to sell that to a Western environment. Because the gods of our world promise to give us lots. Anything. And Jesus promises to give us enough. He even says, don't even even worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. The Father will just give you what you need today. Trust me. Stay close to me. But what that that does tell us is that God knows what He's doing in our lives and that everything that we have in our lives is from God or or everything that we need in our lives is going to come from God and that the circumstances of our lives don't surprise God and that He has the wisdom to find us food even in those circumstances. Even on your most difficult Friday or Saturday, whatever your day is, whatever your moment is, whatever your circumstance, even there. Can we trust that He knows what He's doing? Morism will destroy you, but contentment in the presence of the shepherd will give you life. I want to say that, I, I, I feel like I want to say that for the next three hours. I've been having this this feeling in me for the last week or two and I've, I've uh, not said much about it because I, I know there's been times in the past where there's been a I've spoken out of the flies of my soul. And then it comes across bad. And I I don't know what this, but there's this like, there's this desire to take us as a church and to push a pause, some sort of divine pause button and say, stop. Please hear this. God doesn't want us to know more about Him. He wants us to know Him. And then as soon as I get to the end of that sentence, I, I feel like, well, I'm not sure anyone heard that. And I said, "Pause, please, stop. Hear it. I mean it." And I said, "I don't want to. I don't want to sound like someone who's frustrated or irritated. But I want to say, morism will destroy you. But contentment in the presence of the Shepherd will give you life. Please hear that, because I don't think I'm exaggerating on either of those statements. Morism will destroy you. I think that's completely true." Please hear it. It will destroy you, your heart, your mind, your soul. It will affect your relationships, your quality of life, your home life, your work life, your hopes, your dreams. But contentment in the presence of the shepherd will give you life, trusting in the shepherd. Clinging to the shepherd, holding on to the shepherd through all the circumstances of life will give you life. Will give me life. In all these situations, please notice the shepherd that makes rest possible. Remember that? Only the shepherd can make rest possible. The sheep are vulnerable, they're disruptive, they're exposed, they're needy. But the shepherd bears the burden of all of this. The good shepherd is good because He takes care of all of our needs. And all we can do, all we can do, is come like bleating sheep to His call. Come to me, all those who are thirsty. Come to me, all those who are burdened. Come to me, all those who are fearful. Come to me, all those who are experiencing friction. Come to me, all those... Come. Let me draw to a close. In Matthew... Oh, sorry, sorry. So, in drawing to a close, what is the vaccine to morism? The answer is simple. Coming to the shepherd and resting in his presence. I told you it's costly. Just can you meditate on that for, for 30 seconds? What does it actually mean in your life? Now, so I was just telling you about... How this reminds me, rest reminds me of Genesis, the perfect life, where we start with rest and then we go to work. And it reminds me of the gospel, where we start with justification and then we get to work. What does it mean though, to come to the shepherd, to rest in his presence? Well, it's a kind of a death. Jesus Jesus died on the cross and he was buried in a grave. And in a way, we kind of go and join Him in His death, in the seventh day uh, nothingness, rest, where we, we rest from the world, we die to the world, we put off these, these sinful burdens and strains, and we, and we take them off, peel them off, and, and we may have to experience this kind of seventh day experience multiple times in a day, but it's, it's this kind of putting off of that to go and, and die in Jesus so that we can have that eighth day experience of life in Jesus new life in Jesus what does it mean for you just take 30 seconds what does it mean coming to the shepherd and resting in his presence what is what is in a sense dying to everything else so leaving everything else and running down through the fog to him what do you have to leave behind In Matthew, Jesus said that the sheep wandered off. You know that sheep never return. They have no homing device. They're not sensible and nor are we. So Jesus left heaven and He entered the world to bring back God's sheep. All of us have gone astray and our shepherd has come after us. He's found us. And then we hear that he puts us on his back and he carries us home. It's a great effort. He's done it all because he loves us and he owns us and he wants to take care of us. And today he invites the sheep to come and to rest in him. Rest from fears that disrupt your life. Rest from the frictions and factions with others. Rest from inescapable, futile flies that disrupt everything that is beautiful. Rest from joyless famine, from a dry soul, a dead spirituality, a meaningless life. And to feast in His presence, to rest in Him. We're going to take communion, and we can prepare it in a second, but I I wonder if you'll go with the metaphor for a moment. Imagine we're the actual sheep. And we're wherever we are, with whatever burdens of life we're experiencing. Whatever's going on in our heart, or our soul, or our mind. However, Morism or any of the other four things I spoke about are affecting and disrupting our lives. We hear Him say, come to me. Come into my presence. Come and feast with me. And we come to a table that reminds us of what He's done for us, why we can come to Him. But in this, there's a death. There's a leaving behind of everything else to be with Him. There's a a leaving behind this world so that we can enter a new life in His. We can enter the the kingdom life. I wonder if you will imagine the shepherd calling you by name. Here is love. Here is care. Here is promise. But also correct expectations. Have clearly in your mind what green pastures are. Green pastures are a picture of trust, not a picture of excess. It's a life of faith in the presence of Jesus, not a life of independence and autonomy because of excess. But if you have everything else and not Him, you have nothing. And if all you get is Him, you'll have everything you need. And when you feel, even by the Holy Spirit, Him call your name, and just for those who, who are getting lost in the analogy, I don't expect that you'll actually hear your name called, like in your ears. Though that could happen. What I more mean is there's an awareness by the Holy Spirit of Jesus speaking into your heart, mentioning your name. Come to me. And leave everything else in the fog. Come to the table. Let it be buried in the death of Jesus, in His blood and His body. And let us walk out of these doors, life in the kingdom, not of excess, but of contentment, of everything I need. Here's the word that replaces all things I want. Here's what Jesus does promise. He will always be enough. Enough. He will always be enough. That's a great promise. That's a very great promise. It doesn't sound great in our culture and our language. But in the scope of eternity, and the older you get, the greater you see the promise of enough is. It's quite divine.